Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, I think Racer Stadium's going to be rocking uh, tomorrow night. Big game. I don't know if this game's flying under the radar, but Oregon State probably flying under the radar a little bit, at least in the eyes of the AP voters. Ashley Adamson of the Pac-12 Network. You know her work. She's been on this show before. She's a fantastic storyteller and journalist. She's in Corvallis. She will be here for the Oregon State-USC game tomorrow. Part of that broadcast on the Pac-12 Network's 6.30 kickoff. Ashley Adamson joining us. Give us some flavor. You've been around the, uh, been around the town. You're, you're around this game. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. It's good to chat with you. Um, I will say first and foremost, and one of the best parts about working for the Pac-12 is you get to go to these unbelievable campuses every weekend during football season. But I can't put my finger on why it is, but I think I said this to Yogi Roth today. I think Corvallis might be my favorite spot to come. And I know that isn't, I, I don't know how many people would actually say that of all the 12 campuses we get to go to, but Corvallis is definitely up there. Um, it's awesome. The weather is gorgeous. It's warm, but feels like a little fallish. And we just got done with the meetings, um, you know, with Jonathan Smith and the two coordinators. And I, I just think this is going to be an awesome game. There's a million different storylines and all the rest. But I think Oregon State is not scared. I think they, as you mentioned, are being overlooked a little bit. Um, and I think it's, I think it's going to be a great battle. So we feel lucky to be here this weekend. There's no doubt about it. On Pac-12 Media Day. Jonathan Smith said, I want to win all 12 games and I want to get to Vegas. Like, that was new talk coming from Oregon State. I haven't heard that in a long time. Um, what did he say today? Where was his mindset? You said they're not afraid. Yeah, we asked him. I said, what's your message to the team this week? And, and he said the biggest thing is that we just talked about handling adversity. And it's not just about getting down in a game and how do you handle the adversity of what comes up in a game, but he said it's like the distraction, the hype, all of the interest in this game leading into kickoff. School started on Wednesday, so obviously there's a bunch of distractions for them away from football. Um, and so far this season, you know, he's like, we haven't really been down or turned it over. Or, you know, we played one run game where the half the stadium was for us. So this week is, is about handling adversity because it's, it's going to hit. And he said, you know, his message to the guys, he said, we've just tried to simplify it. We've tried to just make it about two things, which is have your eyes right and over-communicate. That is, those are the things that they sort of drilled into their guys this week. And, you know, I think they feel pretty confident with the game plan. They know what USC brings, right? I mean, the Trojans have punted five times total in, in three games. So um, when they get going, they're hard to stop. But I think uh, I think they've got a good plan. And, and Trent Bray is, has been excellent. And I think it's going to be fun to see how this defense, and especially the Oregon State secondary, how they match up with those wideouts. Yeah, they got Jaden Grant back there, seven-year senior who's taken a yoga class. That's his hardest class. He Great interview, yesterday. by the way, that you had with him the other day. 
you know, he and these guys, this is, you know, I want to say this is a game that, like, may be kind of the pinnacle so far of their careers. Like, you know, they've been through some times where there's been coaching changes and there were games where no one showed up or no one cared hardly about, you know, their game. And here they are under the spotlight. Like, I think it's a big moment for them. Do you think they're ready for it? Yeah, I do. And, you know, part of it, and of course, this is an entirely new USC team than the one that they beat at the Coliseum last year. But I think that moment last year um, was was a really big deal for this team, even mentally, to be able to, to go somewhere that, you know, you haven't won in six years and be able to just physically manhandle USC like they did last season. Now, again, this is a totally different team, totally different deal, and they know that. But um, yeah, this is a big deal. And, and to be honest, I, I just, yeah, I get the sense from, from talking with them and, you know, Chance Nolan did an interview with Yogi Roth and Ted Robinson on their podcast earlier this week, That it's good if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. But there's just this sort of quiet confidence about them. And I think if they can, you know, get out of the first quarter and not let USC really get rolling and be able to eat some clock and run the ball and, and just dictate at least, you know, early on in the game, um, I think they'll be. I think they'll be in good shape, and it would not surprise me at all if USC wins this game. I guess that's the, probably the easiest way to, to say it. Ashley Adamson, Pac-12 Network, is with us. Oregon, uh, USC has looked very good on the offensive side of the ball, in particular. You've watched them more than we all have. You've talked with them. What do you think is happening and going right for them in in the early part of this season? Well, I think they have some pretty dynamic playmakers. You know, Caleb Williams is, is the real deal, and they've got um, just so many unbelievable guys with speed and guys who do different things and all, all these different options. I think the one thing, this is something that Lincoln Riley said that was interesting when we were talking to him this week. He he was saying, you know, we were asking about, like, how close this team is because it, it was almost like free, we're in the world of free agency where you've got so many different guys coming in from all different Spaces and you know all, all trying to get to know each other really quickly and how has the locker room been so close and it feels like there's a cohesion and he just basically said well you credit the players like the energy and excitement and the closest has all been there but when I really think it comes down to is that it's not like MLB free agency that everybody you know you're getting traded here or there everybody had a choice to be here so you were either a player here who could have left um, or you were somewhere else and you decided to leave there and come. So it, they didn't bring anybody in that this was their only option, and that goes for players and coaches as well. So he said that, that that's our one bond. Like despite some of the fact that despite the fact that we had some limited experience together, we all made the same choice when we had choices, and that was to be here. So I think there's more cohesion than I think a lot of people expected, given how many new faces and dynamics there are in that in that locker room. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that especially on the offensive side of the ball. They just have some dudes who can make plays, and the offensive line has stepped up. Um, they've been happy with, with how much tougher they've been up front, like the physicality and toughness is something that they preach at the line of scrimmage, and, and that has started to show up too. All right, I'm going to put you in a tough spot here, Ashley. Um, is it better for the Pac-12 if USC wins this game and stays in the playoff hunt, knowing that, between you and I, they're leaving in a couple years, or is it better that Oregon State emerges and probably, if they win this game, you, we, we, you know, the Pac-12 probably has two teams ranked in the teens all of a sudden. You know, I could see Oregon State at, you know, 15 or 18 if they win this game. 
What What's best for the mm-hmm. conference here? Yeah, you know, I think that you can look at it both ways that you just pointed out. I, the reality is, um, and, and George Kleopkoff has said as much, and he's told us explicitly, USC and, and UCLA for the next two years, they are Pac-12 teams, and we are we want their success, and they are as part of this conference as much as they ever have been in the last hundred years. So, I think I, I get it. What you, I get the point that yeah. you're trying to make here, but I think the bigger picture is that, yeah, I mean USC. We're going to find out. I think that's the reality of what, what's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if I can say it's, it's better one way or the other. Um, Oregon State, both either team will be undefeated. They'll be 4-0, whoever wins this game. And I think it's going to be a huge measuring stick for the Trojans. And this will be, you know, they've had some tests, but they haven't played. They certainly haven't played a secondary like Oregon State has, and I don't think they played a team that has the firepower that Oregon State does and some of the playmakers and athleticism that they have. So we'll find out a little bit more about both of these squads. But I think either way you cut it, it's going to be a great win for either team. Um, I'm just really annoyed that Oregon State isn't ranked, and Washington yeah. State too. I mean, it, it, Michael Molinari, our producer, I was, he was going over the sheet with all of the graphics for tomorrow, and I was laughing because he has, you know, the matchups and it's, number seven USC versus should be ranked Oregon State. Like, that's always <laughs> going to have it in the graphic. And I'm like, I like that. So, yeah, because it should be a top – we should have two top 25 Pac-12 matchups this weekend. Uh, I and love we don't. that. Yeah, so. and you're right. Why do you think that is? I have a theory on it, but I want to I want to know why you think – why do you yeah. think Washington State, Oregon State, why don't they get the respect right now? Washington State is the one that really – like, Oregon – I think both should be ranked, but Washington State's the one that really – bothers me even more um they're the greg moraz our researcher sent me this the other day they are in 20 seasons there has only been one other power five team that has started three and oh that has had a road win over a top 20 team that they weren't ranked and that was in 2002 kentucky so like if you've done what washington state has done you are ranked so i i can't other than people not watching what's your theory because i don't i don't other than that i don't actually know yeah, I started reaching out to people who vote in the poll after that first couple of weeks when Oregon State and Washington State weren't getting votes. And what I found was there was definitely um, a little bit of bias going on with, A, I don't think a lot of the voters in the eastern part of the country were even watching Oregon State for that, for sure. But but mm-hmm. Washington State's win came in broad daylight, you know, against Wisconsin. Like, everybody saw that, and, and they it still didn't register and the only thing that I kept coming back to is, you know, I had one of the analytics uh, geek and friends of mine, and he would be he'd be okay with that description. Um, he said <laughs> he said that he started measuring, you know, it, it isn't just Oregon State, it isn't just Washington State. It was anybody west of the Rockies, even if you got a win over Boise State or Fresno State, it wasn't equating in as much impact in the polls as wins over marginal teams that were east of the Rockies. And so there's mm. just I think there's just a bias in general that good football isn't played in the Pacific time zone. Yep. No, I think uh we've sort of, you know, it's interesting that the analytics back that up because that's what the feeling is. And and it's hard John, you know this like I mean we I, I cover the Pac twelve and so I have blinders on in, in some ways, like I am locked in and I spend the majority of my time watching and thinking and studying and reading about Pac-12 teams. So for all the same reasons that there's probably East Coast bias, like I, I am incredibly biased towards the Pac-12 and, and the football that I get to watch every weekend. So I always wonder, like, is it just me that, like, am, am I 
the one that's out here going, why aren't these te- why aren't people paying attention to these teams? Is it that I'm biased? But I think the reality is um, people are only watching so much, and the fact that the numbers bear that out and back that up, like that's like the least surprising thing of all time. Ashley Adamson, Pac-12 Networks, is with us. You're a good storyteller. You're a great storyteller. Your stuff on Utah last year was fantastic, last couple years, in fact. Uh, what are you working on now, or what do you have that's just out that people uh, maybe can look forward to or can check out? You know, that, and I was only very peripherally involved with this story, but it's the best one we've done in a long time, so I'll shout it out. But Yogi Roth um, did a story with Alex Forsyth that is out on our YouTube channels and pack-12.com. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, well, maybe your listeners aren't familiar with Alex Forsyth's story, the Oregon offensive lineman. His dad was killed in a mass shooting in a mall um, in 2012, I believe. And Alex had done a couple of interviews on it, and I think he's done a little bit, but he hadn't really sat down. And, and so Yogi went to their house and sat down with Alex, with Alex's sister, who had never talked publicly about it, and Alex's mom. And I just, I won't tell you the whole thing, but it is worth 10 minutes of your time. I highly encourage anybody who's listening, and whether or not you're an Oregon fan or not, to go watch that piece. Um, it, it's a, he's an easy kid to cheer for beforehand, and, and you watch that, and you just think about what they've been through. And I think the you know, moving forward, we've got a lot of good stuff in, in the hopper, and I think we're going to have some more features coming out soon. I, did, I just am working on one right now. The running backs coach at Cal, his son has um, severe epilepsy. I mean, hundreds of seizures a day for the last six years. And they're trying to change the stigma around epilepsy. So we went and spent, you know, a day or two with them um, in August, and it was so powerful. And he's, you know, the son's gotten really close with the team. So there's, there's all of these stories. You, w- I wish we could tell more, to be honest with you. Like, there are so many. We have a list of ones that um, we are hoping to be able to tell and, and ones that we're working on right now. But that's the best part of this job. Like, going to the games are amazing. But getting to know these players and these stories and these coaches um, and these families, truthfully, in, in a tight way is, is the best part of this job. There's no question about it. Let me ask you, Utah, after the week one loss, I kind of wondered how they'd respond. What have you seen out of that team uh, as it rebounded? Yeah, I think um, we were there in week two, and obviously they weren't, you know, it wasn't uh, Florida that they were playing, but I think that when you look at what happened in that game, I was a little bit worried about, okay, Cam Rising, he's never, you know, he was so good last year once he came and took in as a starter and, and hadn't really made any critical, critical errors that had led to a loss like that. And essentially, in talking to the staff and, in, and kind of being around the team, it was one of those things that they shook it off really quickly. It was like, okay, we are going to learn from this. There are plenty of things to learn from, but that locker room is so tight and so close, and they've got a lot of veteran guys. And they realized, you know, defensively just what was going on. When we talked to Morgan Scally, and he said we were just miss- – it was like things were compounding. Like we were missing our run sets were horrible. And so we were missing all of these tackles. And all of a sudden the linebackers, we've got all these young guys, and they're trying to do more. And all of a sudden it just spiraled, and things got kind of out of control. And he said, but you make one or two plays, and red zone, you know, obviously – crushed them but you make one or two plays and it's a totally different outcome so they shook that off I think pretty pretty easily um and I I love what I see from Utah I think it um they're the defending Pac-12 champs and it it wouldn't surprise me at all if they got back to Vegas I will say though I'm excited about Washington 
what they're doing so far and, and Michael Penix leading that offense, it's been really cool to see. And yeah. they don't have to play USC or Utah in the regular season. So they've, you know, nobody's got an easy path to Vegas, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Washington ends up there and, and we'll, see who, we'll see who else is, is there. All right, before I cut you loose, Washington State hosting Oregon. I'm having trouble with this game. I like both these teams. I love Washington State's defense. Yeah. I like Oregon. What they what they showed a week ago is hard to ignore against BYU. Uh, what are you expecting in Pullman tomorrow? I think it's going to be fun. I think I think you're right. I think of all of the ones, this one to me is I could see easily going either way more than anything else. It, we clearly wrote off Oregon. People, I think, outside the Pac-12 wrote off Oregon pretty quickly after that Georgia game. Um, and it's clear that Georgia is on another planet than everybody else. But They've scored, what, 110 points combined in the last two games. Um, and Washington State, their offense hasn't been, you know, in terms of scoring, like they haven't lit the world on fire. But defensively, um, they've been able to keep the offense in it, and they just, they've been able to figure out different ways to win. So I like Cam Ward. I think every single game that he gets under his belt on this level, is he's just going to improve and improve and improve. And I think – I don't know. I mean, Ducks have what won the last three in this series, and it, this is this is one of those this is one of those games because it is in Pullman, one o'clock kick. It just it's going to be you can tell it's going to be a weird game. I just you, you get that yeah. feeling. So yep. Um, I don't know. Eggs breakfast and go whoop ass. Is that the new <laughs> monster? Yes, something like that. Planning? Put it on a T-shirt. Like, Trademark it before no, Oregon I think does. They did. They already did. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. All right, I'm going to see you at the stadium. Where will you be? Where, if people are going to be in the stadium, will they see you down on the field? You guys normally have a little yeah. setup. Where are you set up? Yep, we will be on the field, and we will actually be on the um, the USC part of the sideline, like in the end zone towards the USC sideline, so okay. not on the side where the fans are going to be. Um, that's what's going to be. I mean, I haven't obviously been to a game at Reacher since the construction's going on, but I, I think it's going to yeah. be interesting to see. Uh, what it's like to see a half-filled reacher because I think it's going to feel the juice is going to feel just as big as if it was packed. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we will be down on the field and we're going to be there starting at like 10 a.m. tomorrow. So. Okay. Um, we're doing. We've got a triple header and our pregame show starts at 10 10:30. Oh wow, you got a long day. So hey. I, yeah, please come. Yeah, it's going to be a long day. We're going to, you know, Nick Aliotti. We're going to try and take it easy. I told him I'm like it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You got to build up. <laughs> Right. Make sure you hydrate. Did you happen? Now you're on campus. Yeah. Did you happen to see Jaden Grant's pop-up uh, T-shirt sweatshirt sale going on over there near no, the stadium? No, I haven't. I haven't. But I I need to go check that out. I yeah. uh, I did. I loved your I loved your interview with him this week. He's uh, he's great. He's, he is living the life, as you said. I'm gonna have to go check that out. I'll go find that. All right. I tried uh, to order. By the way, I tried to order a Jack Coletto hat. Yeah. Website so that I'd have it for this weekend. And, like, everything is on back order because apparently after the Fresno State game, like, they sold out of everything times 100. So Supply chain, Ashley. Supply chain. Supply chain issue. That's what I said. Supply chain issue. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. you. I will see you there. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Good. Thanks, John. All right. There she is, Ashley Adams in Pac-12 Network. Follow her on Twitter. She's a great follow. She's a good, really good storyteller. And you'll see her on the Pac-12 Networks if you tune into the game. You got the BFT. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Anna's here. How you doing, Anna? Hi. Did you uh, hear the latest on Ibi Adoka? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. So, Boston Celtics, for those of you tuning in, have suspended Adoka for a year. And Matt Barnes, who had come to his defense publicly, deleted his Instagram post defending Adoka and has since come out and said, it's a hundred times aggregator than any of us thought. Uh, you walked into the studio here just a minute ago and you were like, the drip, drip, drip. Finish that thought. That is the worst. Like when it comes to crisis communications and the management of a situation like this, the way that this story is slowly dripping out over a matter of days with not very many details and then insinuations like in the face of an information vacuum, people will, you know, writers, media, whatever, people in general, Human the general public is going to think the absolute worst. And so like whether it's Ime Udoka or the Celtics organization, whoever it is, needs to just come forward. Like, if you're ever faced with a situation like this, I mean, the rule, really, is come out as quickly as you can, as swiftly as you can, with as much forthcoming authenticity and information as you can. And I understand that there may be limits on what can be said because of whoever may be involved, but it's really just kind of a nightmare situation for the Celtics, for Ime Udoka, for everyone involved. Yeah, it's there's a lot of questions that I have here too. Is like you know they say that they went to an independent investigation for with an outside firm. Okay, so that suggests to me that they were heavily concerned about litigation. So they go to an outside firm that uncovered multiple violations of team policies. Uh, they won't say what Udoka has to do in order to return. They're saying his suspension ends at the end of this regular season, and they said we'll discuss at the end of the regular season whether he's done enough to come back. Like they've just left too much limbo, and we're all filling in. Like let's play a little game here. Fill in the wildest scenario that you can think of that has popped into your mind legitimately as it pertains to Ime Adoka. Stephen, Sean, Anna, myself, listeners at home, let's play this game. The wildest scenario for me, it is, you know, I immediately went to, oh, this was a supervisor-subordinate relationship. Then I went to, no, it has to be worse. Uh, there's something here that's not that we're not being told is this the significant other of someone else that is involved in the organization? Is this some management team, basketball operations, ownership team president spouse that's involved in this? I don't know. It's, but that's what happens when we don't get information. But when you have Matt Barnes saying things like, this is so much worse, like so deep and so bad and so negative, uh, yeah, I mean, something along those lines and – it's almost leading me to believe that there may be like criminal investigation that follows because that's usually how this goes. Like initially, you know, the organization does the thing yeah. internally and then at some point, you know, somebody files a lawsuit or and or there's like a, a, a criminal look at this to see if the police need to get involved. Yeah. But 
Like, the, this is absolutely the worst. A situation like this needs to be resolved as soon as possible with as much information as they can disclose as possible so that you can figure out what the path is forward and move forward from it. I, I couldn't help myself, but when Matt Barnes became kind of the voice of reason in this, um, I, I cringed a little bit. Uh, this is Matt Barnes who jumped a fence at his own house and then got in a fight with Derek Fisher, punching him in the face, or teammate, <laughs> because Derek Fisher was dating Matt Barnes' ex. Oh, okay. So Matt Barnes has now emerged as the voice of reason, <laughs> right? Right? Like, oh, this is way uglier, guys. You know, like, well, I was like, Matt. That, that's know? where I was kind of going. Like, I, <laughs> worst case scenario is Emi Odoka sleeping with a player's wife or a player's significant other. Mm. Like, that can't be good. That's about as worst you can get. See? There you go. Filling in the gaps with... Terrible things. How about you, Sean? You got some terrible things in your head. Share it with us. No, I don't. No terrible things in my head. <laughs> Clean head. Clean uh, head. I, uh, you know, the first thing that popped to my mind was something along the lines of, uh, you know, kind of a power type deal where it's just like, oh, you know, do this with me and you, you can climb the mm. ranks here. You know, maybe Ooh. it's someone that's lower down and, um, you know, he's offering roles, he's offering promotions since he's obviously about as high up as you can get besides the owner being the head coach. Um, and that it was one of those deals. But it sounds like it's a lot worse than that. Yeah, I want to know more. And, and you know, and it doesn't it doesn't require the Celtics to out the person. And in fact, the Celtics, I think, can uh, at least they talked today and they said, hey, uh, we've got very talented female employees who have been scrutinized. Well, good, because that's what everybody else was thinking, too, that you've left your employees kind of dangling. And oh, by the way, the Celtics knew about this in July. Like they like has Ime Adoka been going to work at the practice facility since July? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently you know? it was a two-month-long investigation. That's what the owner said today. So yeah. since July, they've been investigating this, and it okay. just ended. And, and has he been at the practice facility? Like, has he been allowed for the last two months to continue to work? Well, and which, if that's if that is the case, and let's say Sean's theory is right, because that's where my mind went to, is that, you know, he had some kind of entanglement um, with, you know, somebody who was a subordinate, you know, the problem with these kind of situations, obviously, is that with him being in the position that he is, uh, whether it's consensual or not, like the company, like you have to disclose that you're having a relationship with somebody within the company because the company then faces, you know, sexual harassment and all kinds of like liability issues if somebody who's in the position that he's in is having any kind of relationship with you know somebody who is under him now but Matt Barnes comments I want to play this again for people who haven't heard it Matt Barnes made these comments and this makes me think that it rises above just being a subordinate you know management issue last night uh without knowing all the facts i spoke on Ime Udoka's defense and after finding out the facts after i spoke i erased what i posted because this situation in boston is deep it's messy it's a hundred times uglier than any of us thought and that's why i erased what i said uh some things happened that i can't condone i can't back and it's not my place to tell you what happened. If it ends up coming out, it ends up coming out. But that was the reason why I raced in my post last night because after I posted it, I got a call from someone who had all the details and 
Matt Barnes there. Uh, what what do you where do you go? I go to like domestic violence. I go to, you know, other forms of entanglement on the team. Like, was this person married to another Celtics staff member? Like, you know, Matt Barnes is making me think these things now. I you know. Mm-hmm. Not good. None of it's good. Not good. Uh, you know, I I guess the consolation is it's not the Blazers. You know, <laughs> like really. <laughs> And look, I held up Ime Adoka as, like, this is we, a guy the yeah. franchise should be looking at. And, I you know, know, because he was the hometown kid. And, you know, but uh, I, I need to know more. Isn't it crazy how quickly things can change? Like, if we if we zoom out a little bit and think about, you know, it's not great to think about the basketball part of this right now because it's much more serious than that. But, man, just two months ago, the Celtics were leading the finals. And, you know, they have these young superstars. And they had this, this bright, you know, awesome first-year head coach, like, this the window it feels like has closed so quickly for them where now it's it, they don't even have a coach yeah here's the here's the question i'm going to pose for the room does ime adoka coach the boston celtics ever again no no you think he's done no Steven. he's totally done uh, i'm going to go with no sean oh, sean's on the phone <laughs> sean's on the phone uh i'm going to say no as well I don't think there's any. So then, sh- why the delay? Yeah, like, right. why the one-year suspension? Yeah, right. And they're telling him one year, and then the, and then they're saying they said this today. The owner said that you know there's they, the reporters asked him what does he need to do to be reinstated, and they said we will cross that bridge a year from now. No, if you're going to cross that bridge a year from now, I got news for you. You're on the you're going to be on a bridge for a year. Do you think he ever coaches in the NBA again? Yes. <laughs> But not for the Celtics. The Sorry, I couldn't answer. <laughs> not he won't be the Celtics head coach again. I don't think he can be a head coach in the NBA. Really? I think he, I think he can be an assistant. I don't think we know enough yet. I don't think we know enough. It, yet. Meanwhile, the Celtics have promoted a uh, individual that has a domestic violence conviction. Choked a woman when he was in college in a bar. Uh, way what to was go. a conviction? Way to yeah, he pled guilty. Uh, way to go. Way to go, Boston. Uh, D's in Portland. D, what do you got? Hey, John. How's it going? Hey, Anna. Hi. How's it going? Um, with the whole, like, Robert Tarra, the Suns' ownership, um, and the Celtics coach, it made me, like, wonder last night. The Blazers and that, their ownership, they sort of had this, not the same thing, but kind of had in kind of mucky waters as yep. well. Yeah. I'm surprised more hasn't came up with that in the media and like them trying to say hey you know you're not fit to own this team with all the sorts of crud that they do yeah why is that john yeah i look i think part of it is you know i think he's alluding to jody allen who's got some she has been sued uh uh more than once by members of the bodyguard staff that were supposed to be guarding her they they accused her of harassment uh, i believe there were several lawsuits on that front um, I think part of it is that uh, Jody Allen's a woman, and she is owning this team only as the trustee. So it got handed to her, and I think out of respect for Paul, when she became the trustee, it wasn't immediately raising red flags. If this were, if Jody Allen were Paul's brother, and he had been sued for sexual harassment numerous times, and then the organization subsequently had. Uh, a toxic work environment, and a general manager who was running, running around like he was the leader of North Korea, like yelling at people, uh, I think that that it would have been a bigger story. And But I think the longer she holds the team, 
the more risk that she does run that some of that stuff bubbles up and resurfaces. I got to be honest with you. I get emails. I get emails from people all the time who go, hey, why is Jody get a free pass? Why is why is her pass not coming up more often, especially around the time when the Blazers were investigating that that hostile work environment? And because she ha- she was sued for you know for creating a, a toxic and hostile work environment herself, and she does not have a good reputation as as a person and as a leader and as a manager. She has you know her reputation's not great. So I think that the longer she owns the team, the bigger risk she runs that some of that stuff is going to come up. So if you're Adam Silver. You're watching Robert Sarver in Phoenix. You're watching this Boston Celtics thing. Like, you want to get these franchises in the hands of people who are going to run them right and not embarrass you. And I think the sooner that this can all happen in Portland and in Phoenix, the happier Adam Silver will be. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.